we're Esther and Jas and we're the Well-Spoken Tokens. This podcast tries to fix the cultural sector and make it a little bit more inclusive for everyone, particularly the galleries, libraries, archives and museum sector, which often struggles to um, engage and recruit and retain people of colour and other marginalised voices and overlooked voices. So today we are going to be joined by Karis Morris-Brown from Black Cultural Archives in London and we're going to talk about cultural careers and opportunities. So uh, Karis, if you want to tell us what you do for the Cultural Archives and talk a little bit about yourself and your background and then we will start talking about it more broadly. Okay, um, so a little bit about myself. I've been working at the Black Cultural Archives for just over three years now. Um, before that, I've always worked for charities and in volunteer management. Um, and what really excited me about the role at Black Cultural Archives, it wasn't just to run their volunteer programme, but to look at how we could use our programme and our influence to encourage um, people who are often underrepresented in the sector. Um, so a way of using that programme as, uh, I suppose, an entry to those careers. And we've been quite successful in that, in that we've had people from our volunteer programme go on to further education. So as an archive, one of the things that we often have are people who are interested or sometimes don't even know what an archive is, but feel like that might be um, in line with their degree or their interests. Um, so they often come to us and learn more about the role. So we've had people go on to further education to, stu to study the um, archives masters. Um, we've had people go on to um, archive assistant roles um, and generally more wider the um, arts and heritage sector. Um, so people have gone on to other volunteer opportunities, entry level places or further education, which is really exciting. And what we launched last year was our BCA Pathways programme, the Arts and Heritage programme. So it was basically a careers day where we got people who are um, black, and from other um, underrepresented ethnicities within the sector to learn about the careers. So we had people who are really leaders in the sector talk about their career. Um, and we had um, a keynote speech done by Hilary Carty, who's the director of the CLAW Leadership Programme. Yeah. Um, had a discussion panel that she was a part of um, we had one of the deputy mayors of London speak at the event um, because we know that the cultural sector, the heritage sector, the arts sector is really important to um, London's kind of reputation and its economy. So she was really yeah. um, pleased that an initiative like this was happening was really encouraging to all those that attended. And we also held like a career slash volunteers fair. So we had different organisations even extend their deadlines for some of the jobs that they had. So people that came could attend, could learn about the jobs that they had. Um, and we also ran a CV clinic as well. 
And so what we try to do is create, aware, raise awareness of the roles that are in the sector, but also provide initial support that maybe those that are attending couldn't find elsewhere. So it's like a multi-pronged approach. So you're talking about looking at kind of developing skills, what a CV looks like, but also actually showing people these opportunities and helping them kind of steer them and make contact and network as well. Definitely. Um, so there's so many things that are often a barrier to the sector. Um, one of them is that um, sometimes further education and not just your BA or, you know, your first degree but often the sector is looking for your masters or even your PhD, often almost for entry level job. Yeah. And that is, can be a, a barrier to so many people. Then there is, as you mentioned, the networks, lots of people find jobs through who they know. Um, and if you're coming from a background where actually no one you know works in it, it's not a place that maybe your family members visit, it's another barrier it makes it seem like this isn't space for me. Um, and so the, the event and kind of all that we do within um, BCA, our work with um, developing workforces is about removing those barriers, the perceived ones and the ones that are put up by the sector itself. And so it was really important that we brought the institutions, the almost the people that hold these jobs, we brought them to the people that want to be in the sector or who have never considered it. Um, because it's not just about the individuals making the effort to find the jobs, it's about these institutions recognising that actually there are some barriers that they have put up and come into a space like BCA will help them meet those people. I was talking, but I was muted, so I'll say what I was saying again. That's really great. Do you find that, um, like, I, I personally feel like a lot of places, if you point out the barriers to them, they'll always be pushed back. Um, and sometimes people will say things like that they don't believe those are barriers or that they, you know, that's just the way that the sector is. And have you encountered that? And how would you how do you normally like deal with people who you feel that way if you haven't out that yeah i have to say no i haven't but i think i'm in a really privileged position in that i do work for the black cultural archive so before i introduce myself or what my role's about the fact that the title of the place that i work is black cultural institution i think people are already aware of what is on the agenda Mm -hmm. um, what I have found is that there's still this hesitancy to name the elephant in the room, which yeah. is we can often talk about diversity and there's parts of diversity that are easier for us to speak about or people feel more comfortable in speaking about it. Or even the new term, which I personally am not too keen on, which is people of colour when actually the issues that we need to talk about are the facts. Well I'm talking about black people often yeah. um, and people are really scared to say black or Asian or Bangladeshi or you yeah. know 
the people that we're talking about yeah. so we're in tower hamlets and people are scared to say you know bangladeshi but yeah. actually we're talking about opportunities that are not open to them or seems not open to them we're talking about the exclusion of black people in these spaces and the only way that we can address it is by naming it and using the language i my general rule of thumb is that if someone can't identify someone if someone can't say black or someone can't say indian or if someone can't say bangladesh it's because they don't have any friends of that ethnicity because yeah. <laughs> you feel because they've never had to use the specificity to do it yeah or they've just yeah or they just yeah it's just very funny to me it's like well you clearly have no i think the more diverse your friendship group is the easier you feel saying certain words which is weird yeah. but it is what it but is. also I think that's it and that's one of the problems that you have when you go into these big structures and these big institutions is that they don't have that vast group of people to go it's okay you can say black I am black this is fine <laughs> we're talking about this issue from this lens um and yeah and it's really hard when you have to be the person to make people feel comfortable about using that language and that terminology as well um but I wanted to ask as well, so you've been clearly empowered within your structure to do this and you say you've worked in the charity sector before, is this the first time you felt empowered to kind of really do this work in the way that you do it or do you feel like the voluntary, I know from my perspective working in charities I think this seems like a really kind of opportune moment to really embrace these dialogues and these conversations, particularly in white-led organization but i do feel i've worked in black-led organizations i've worked in white-led organizations i do feel the way i'm allowed to work is different sometimes do you feel like that as well i i think within a black-led organization it's not just your responsibility so i think if you can be often when you're in a predominantly white space if you say oh you know the volunteers that we're working with don't really reflect the community they'll be like yeah that's true so you know whatever you feel you can do about that paris go ahead and do it whereas in a black led organization then that becomes a discussion and something for everyone within the organization to pick up and address or support you in doing it um, and they feel just as able to as you do rather than in another space where you're the black person you deal with that then so I don't know yeah and the willingness to sort of learn and do that work and embed that work in the whole organizational culture just changes completely it's almost I think there's, there's always a willingness but then the understanding and I think that's the great thing about black lives matter movement at the moment is that there's a lot of people saying it's not my responsibility to educate you there's all of these things out there that you can pick up and learn for yourself don't just put it on the one black person that you know or the two black people in your organization to teach you it's saying it's out there learn for yourself so that you can be a true ally and supporter and I think before now a lot of people didn't realize that they could educate themselves on 
these issues. But that speaks even to the mission of Black Cultural Archive. It's that um, Black history will be um, shared to everybody. So everyone can learn Black history. The fact that, you know, the way that Black history is often embedded in the, or not embedded in the curriculum, you learn about it in October and that's just it. So I think if that's our experience in schools, it kind of makes sense that people as they get older feel like it's something that should be drip fed to them rather than them taking an active approach or not even knowing where to access those things. Am I making sense? You are making sense. <laughs> You've got the cultural archive to do that as well. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, because we talked about this idea that quite a lot of roles in the heritage sector do seem to rely on you having a degree. So I'm now going to weigh in on the whole A-level uh, result situation, because again, there was a lot of conversation about how the way that it was sort of decisions were made to make it an algorithm to decide on A-level results rather than teachers um, meant that you again created a system that disadvantaged people and completely blocked their opportunities off. So in terms of, um, are there any experiences that you've had around this whole A-levels debacle in terms of any maybe the volunteers you work with, how it's directly affected sort of people looking at how they might approach their careers in the heritage sector? um no not personally in specific to the heritage sector um yeah not specific to the heritage sector i think just more broadly okay i think the a level debacle is it's kind of it's wider than the heritage sector um in fact what am I saying? I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but definitely not not specific to the A-levels. I think um, a lot of our young people that have volunteered with us are happy that they're now reviewing that and they're getting their estimated grades. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'll leave that one because I... Oh, okay. I'll go deeper than actual the A-level grade, which is having your grades estimated as a person of who's from a minority ethnic background is not necessarily great for a lot of people anyway yeah I refer back to a lot of um previous research that's been done that shows how especially Black African people often perform way better when their exams are graded externally rather than internally. Um, but we'll continue to see the fallout of 2020 and years to come. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't present a particularly optimistic picture either way, but I do think it's it's really indicative of how these sort of systems are put in place and yeah that impact that impact on how it's going to affect people's attitudes to the education system are going to be really deeply wounded by you know these kind of oh yeah it doesn't matter if a, a particular group of people lose out on their opportunities because of this um and i do think it was really really damaging 
the way it was communicated, the length of time that was allocated to it, like the fact that it was a system that um, they took a really long time and then you had a really small window for people who were looking at going to university in a matter of weeks being told then that not only were they being downgraded but that they wouldn't have the time to be able to kind of appeal the decisions actually look for justification in the decision and when you're looking for that justification I do think that will then sort of bear out this conversation about well actually where are you getting this data from that's suggesting that she should have this really he or she should have this downgraded grade when actually in fact their performance over the year in terms of how they test has been good and all of this came from a system where it wasn't they decided they were taking the exams they were not given the option to take the exams in the first place i do think something about that is really important in thinking about in terms of how you are affecting people's career opportunities and choices from such a young age with the GCSEs and A-levels. And once you start at that age, not giving people opportunities, you then get to this point where as you get older and older and older, you get less and less chances for people to kind of go, well, actually I do want to go into this career, but I can't do that because I've then got to go back and relook at what decisions I made at university, studying heritage or history. Um, yeah. I, I think, it's, the whole I think thing really one of the things that, shocks me I didn't know is that you had to pay to appeal your grade your grades and if we look at the cost of education so it's one thing to say you need a master's in archiving to become an archivist um, never mind some of the entry requirements to get on to that degree um, but it is the cost of it and if you're putting that barrier at A levels when your education is meant to be free at that point. We know university is no longer free. And, you know, unfortunately we weren't born in 1970 whenever it was free. I'm not I, I was actually 1979, I, I was the last year. <laughs> I was the last year. <laughs> yeah, I'm not bitter against you. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, yeah so it's the cost barrier. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, yeah, it's, well, it's the cost barrier. and um, that's being set from a level which is it's unjust really and as you said it's not based on your ability it's not based on the efforts that you've put on put in it's how much do your parents earn and yeah, if we want really yeah if we want our heritage and our cultural spaces to reflect the diversity and the strengths of Britain. There really needs to be a deep look at that. Definitely. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more me, Esther and Kellis after this. And we're back! Um, we were just discussing the debacle that was the A-level results in the UK uh, during COVID 2020. I don't know why I said that, no one's going to be listening to this 10 years from now. But uh, that's what we were talking about. And, and how, like a lot of things in the world, it is really rubbish for those who are from marginalised backgrounds. 
due to the marginalization and the racism of teachers goes right down to the bottom of the racism of teachers um expecting kids of melanin to do slightly worse than everybody else and giving their grades giving them not as high as predicted grades um all the way up to our rubbish tory government but we can change the subject now and talk about something else if you guys want so i think okay. we were going we were gonna discuss uh, career challenges and mentorship so what do you both have to say about that so yeah i think because i don't i actually don't know if we've ever discussed this just how you got into working in the archive sector libraries and archive sector what did you ever have a point at which this was something that was kind of suggested to you as a career sort of culture and heritage no I just forced my way in pretty much yeah because the way i worked in culture was i'd ended up working in the nhs which is an eye-opening experience and then i wrote down lists of things i was good at and things that i really enjoyed and i really enjoyed film and i really enjoyed theater and i applied for a job in a film in a cinema um working in their administration team and so i've worked in cultural operations ever since then and sort of sidestepped into heritage um but yeah i'm don't think there was ever anything like what the BCA is doing now where and I would have totally been up for that kind of sort of I went to lots of sort of um, uh, careers events and things so I would totally have looked down that if that existed when I was younger um, so I think yeah in terms of career progression with culture it's been really there is no really structured career path and I think that's one of the ways in which you can get um people particularly people of color who don't get that progression because there's so little support for you to do a kind of structured plan into it i think from my perspective when i was a kid if i could tell my parents i was doing the training for this and the training for that and the training for that that would be something they might have encouraged and supported but because there is no real clear path into it i think that's one of the ways in which it harms people who might be interested in culture might be interested in heritage but they having to get the support from family members and say well where's the career in it i think that's where things like the bca program are really good in saying well this is where the career lies for you this is something you can do if you've got this particular skill set um but yeah i do think that career having a clear career path in some of these sectors would be a massive massive advantage what do you think is that me yeah um definitely so one of the ways that we're developing our workforce um development this year is that we're looking at the career pipeline so from primary school all the way up to senior level so we were looking at this research that pointed to children's career aspirations often being set by age seven now if you can imagine at seven years old there are some children that have may not have been in an art well there's loads of people that have never been in an archive <laughs> but even a, a museum or an art gallery or the theater and have no understanding then of all of the different roles 
that are connected to those um, sectors or those spaces, then your their um, career aspirations at that age are often automatically limited, and they'll continue to make decisions about what subjects they like. And then when it gets to GCSEs, what subjects they take on, A-levels and so on and so on. So one of the things that we're looking at is um, introducing them to people who are in the sector and what their jobs are. And the ones that we often don't hear about at first. So everybody knows in a museum you have a curator. But then beyond that, it's kind of like, oh, what do you do? Oh, yeah, and the director of the museum. But how did that person get to that stage? So it's about exposing them to all of those different um, jobs that are out there and also showing them that there are people like them in these spaces. Because you may go on a school trip to the museum and it's only the people in your class that look like you. None of the objects were on display even if they are from the country of your parents or grandparents origin it's not told that story isn't told in a way that you would recognize as yours um so yeah it's about exposing them to like kind of black british history and also to those roles that are in those spaces then we're also looking at people who are in um Kind of the first job within the sector and how do they move from there into board level positions and then also looking at the organizations how can they make themselves a space where okay you've attracted these great candidates now how do you retain them what is it about the space which means that it's not somewhere where a lot of people feel comfortable or that they can grow or support it um, so yeah, we're looking and we'll continue with the careers um, days as well. So it's looking at the young, the babies almost at the beginning of their career right through to the end um, because we realise that these conversations that we're having are about the sector not being diverse, um, it starts from the beginning and there's so much work to be done across the board. Um, so in terms of your question was more about the the mentors and the career development. Yeah. So I think um, through that we hope to put people in touch with people who they feel can support them. So maybe not m mentors, but more pair buddies so that they feel like they're not on the journey by themselves. I like that. I think that's really worthwhile work all the way through and it's really interesting that you are looking at doing that work from kind of primary level as well because I do think it's really important to have a generation of people who grow up seeing culture as being something that they are engaged with and a part of I think that's super 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 important yeah I love that I love that it's going right right down to like the babies and and giving them the opportunity to to know what they know um um give them that opportunity to just kind of see like oh i am part of this and i it is important to me and it is valuable i think it's so interesting that they want to know what they do by the time they're seven although yeah, it's really scary although to be fair, is making these decisions well at six years old um 
kids of colour will play with other kids of colour, but white kids will be more likely to play with other white kids. I also yeah. Like, which is very depressing. But it goes to show that there's the, the f formative years are so important to like, not that people can't unlearn things and learn new things and, you know, expand yeah. their minds in different ways, but like we need to... It just slows that process, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Need to actually. But it's also good for white kids to see black people in positions of power. And oh yeah, of course. As well. Definitely, <laughs> because if the white person is the HR manager, we want them to look at the other person that doesn't look like them as a suitable candidate, not somebody who's strange and or oh, I'm not sure if they can be yeah. in this space. Well, I think a lot of that, which is, <laughs> this will be a nice segue into our pop culture references, but I think something about that is, um, so I don't know about you guys, but like, since so much, since there's so little representation in pop culture, in TV and film and stuff like that, I always found myself relating to people who didn't look like me, but maybe were experienced some of the same anxiety as me, but for like a different reason or whatever, like in a TV show, something like that. And I think it's really important to have those characters who happen to be from marginalised backgrounds, like people of colour, disabled people, blah, 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 who white people and um, fully abled people can also relate to. So it's like yeah. having that, <clears throat> having someone say, oh, I really relate, like having little boys say, I love Wonder Woman or I look up to Wonder Woman is like really important. Or having little white kids saying, I love Black Panther. like that that kind of um understanding of of the other character is really yeah. important i think for the development of understanding empathy. relating to people in your real life when they come from those different backgrounds that you don't and having role models and people who inspire you who don't come from the same background as you do and who are you know where you have to understand their lived experience a little bit more and then that might give people the actual like kick up the butt to learn about the things that they like you were saying earlier just get drip think they should be drip fed um rather than just actually going and finding out more about it but, so that brings us into our pop culture reference of the week yeah lovely segment so okay things in pop culture that talk to this idea of black career development um so i don't know if it's still on all four i hope it is uh because i freaking loved it and it was short-lived and it made me very upset but there was this show called not safe for work which had Zari Ashton, who people might know as being Vod from Fresh Meat, and Sasha Dowan, um, who is the Indian actor who is in, amongst other things, The History Boys, um, and they're working in, um, uh, in the civil service. Um, and it was just really, really interestingly observed how they treated the people of colour in this segment. And Sasha Dower's character is just an awful, he's really terrible at his job. But they're basically, the white fragility around him doesn't allow them to deal with him properly because he's a Muslim character and they 
feel really, really fragile about it. And the discussions about kind of like being a person of colour in the workplace, I think Not Safe for Work is one of the most wryly observed TV shows. And I thought it was a really, really interesting one to talk about. Have either of you seen it? No? <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh my gosh! This no, I've not seen it. Have segment. Hunt it down, because I do think it's really interesting in what it says about how we see people of colour in like workspaces and how they sometimes code switch, which we've talked about, and how you know you might performatively present in order to kind of feel like you fit in in a particular space. Ooh, interesting. So Gas, do you have a pop culture reference this week? I found it really difficult actually to find one. Um what, because of black people in the workplace not being particularly represented on television? Yeah, like the only one that we've sp spoken about it for is like, um, I'm, seeing a, oh, I'm gonna say the title wrong as well because it's got it on my head, but uh, the awkward black girl, the story of an awkward black girl. Adventures of an awkward black girl, yes. yeah. Adventures of an awkward black girl, that's it. Which is very funny, like incredibly funny. Um, and very, yeah, it, you know, has all those different interactions, which like, and there's like little microaggressions that you can get into. But honestly, I've been not great for the last couple of weeks due yeah. to some not great stuff happening, race related stuff happening in my own life. So I've just been avoiding anything on telly that could remind me of anything like that. So I've just been like re-watching Peep Show pretty much. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with Do you have anything that strikes you that's, and it doesn't have to be TV or film, it could be like, you know, music, poetry? No, I was thinking the only thing I can remember is Insecure, but it's not recent because I think it was the first season. So I believe it's the same girl that did Awkward Black. Girl. Yeah, Issa Rae. Yeah, who I think it was season one when I was working in a charity and I think I was the only white girl, white girl, black girl, <laughs> I was the only black girl. No. And some of the things that she went through, I was like, yeah, this is life. <laughs> yeah. I think this is basically a call out to television commissioners, television producers, movie writers. We need a heritage sector based workspace comedy or workplace drama that features people of colour. Be a gap. It would, we would want the hell out of it. I know I would. It would definitely be a comedy because the amount of things that happen that we have to laugh at on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. We are open to be commissioning consultants on this. Like, <laughs> <come founders. laughs> Heritage writers for comedy writers. Yeah, that that would that's hilarious. <laughs> Okay, and then that segues into talking about other people in our lives who support us, whether it's professionally, whether it is emotionally, other people who help elevate the work we do or are really good partners um, in terms of sharing like these gaps and hoping to helpfully address them. So our Mighty White section. Um, so Jasper, again, I'm going to start with you. Do you have a Mighty White that you want to talk about this week? Um, uh, you know what, I'm gonna give a massive shout out to everyone who has been really, really supportive over the last few weeks. 
I can't quite say why or what happened. Um, but I have a lot of friends who are made from my work and my excellent housemate Fiona and everyone's been amazingly supportive. I'm being very elusive, but it's like everyone's been amazingly supportive and lovely. And I think it's made me realize that like to everyone that's listening, like being an ally costs you literally nothing. Like a kind word for someone who's going through a hard time because someone else doesn't see their value due to various reasons. Like just say a kind word. Um, read up on something if you don't understand what they're going through um, because it genuinely it means the world and it when you don't feel alone in the struggle for like just living your day-to-day -day goddamn life then every, it makes everything so much better and so much more manageable um, so I'm going to give a shout out to the visitor engagement team at the John Ryland's Library and my housemate Fiona and all my friends who will listen to me cry and complain and stress and then channel that into something really good and essentially help me be an alchemist where I turn my really shit like things that I go through into really good missions and stuff that I want to achieve. Okay. Uh, Karis, do you have someone that you want to talk about who you felt was really supportive in helping you with your career development or, you know, helping promote some of the work that you do? And they have to be white. Um, we, we go with Mighty Whites because it's about someone who's not necessarily invested because it's their issue. So, you know, um, I don't know. Well, <laughs> okay. Started because yeah. we thought it was funny. That was the the main reason. Yeah, I mean it's comedy. It works out on so many levels. But um, I think anyone so, for any reason for supporting, like yeah, for supporting sisters is just as important as. So we've got to elevate the people that help elevate others as well. So okay, I well, was she's not white, but I will shout out um the director of Black Cultural Archives, Arike um Oki. Um, she is definitely amazing. She's supported the work that I've been doing um, and has just provided opportunities for us to talk more and more about volunteers, the way that we use them and looking at how the work that we do with them affects the whole workforce. So shout she, out She's amazing. I've seen her speak before. She's really, really great. I really love the work that she does. So cool. she can't fit in your Mighty White section, but she's mighty. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? We are really open. We can, we, we've pretty much let loads of people into that section. And giving people a shout out as well, I think is really important. I think we need to, to change but... it though. I feel like we've run out of the good whites. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just recycling. I'm just recycling people now. <laughs> I mean, I had two and one I wasn't sure if I'd mentioned before. I don't think I've mentioned it by name. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe we will. Maybe it's just that yeah. general elevate and plug section for yeah. other people who are doing really good work. We should call it elevate, okay. don't hate. Absolutely. But or um, um, shout out to our white listeners who work in the heritage sector. Maybe you want to do something so good that you get to be on our mighty white section. Maybe yeah, this is a, a, a call to arms. Maybe that should be our. Uh, <laughs> 
your mission for the next six months? Yeah, become so mighty that someone wants to absolutely shout about you on our podcast. Um, so who had I picked? I I had picked Jules Wilson Thomas. So the story behind Jules is that um, so we uh, Kids of Colour, uh, which is an organisation run by the magnificent Roxy Legate, um, uh, do amazing work talking about stories of racism that young people experience. So you should definitely, definitely be following them. And I was introduced to them by Suzanne Smith, who um, is the other person I was going to mention, uh, who's what I work with. Um, and they basically, the organisation's got a particular mission at the moment around making sure that people know about the fact that in Manchester and possibly UK-wide, I'm not sure, um, having police officers in schools and how potentially damaging that is, particularly to uh, people from non-white backgrounds, having police in schools. So they've got a no police in schools campaign that's happening. Um, and so Jules is a friend of mine and she works in education. And so in terms of me, I don't really know people who work in education. So she's been spreading the word about no kids in no police in schools and that campaign through uh, Kids of Colour. And so I want to give Jules a shout out for being an amazing ally and advocate and going that extra mile talking about this issue, which is, again, we've talked about really important that, you know, you want the messages of what not being policed when you're at school, which is a time when you should be learning and educating yourself. You don't want to be in a circumstance where you go into school and someone is almost putting a sort of criminalized viewpoint of you forward so i feel very passionately about no police in schools and i'm really happy that jules has been really helpful in spreading that messaging with her colleagues as well um and hopefully making it a much bigger item on people's agenda so we didn't talk about karis you're being nominated as heritage volunteer manager of the year Woo! i was robbed i was robbed <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was also nominated, but you know, I didn't make it either. But you know, I mean, when I saw the people who were nominated, it was a, um, it was an interesting pool of people, um, and I do think it's really great that you were recognised for your work with volunteers for that, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to reach out for you to come on to the podcast as well. So, congratulations on your nomination. I am Thank sorry you, you were not victorious for all of your work um because we did hear the statements that your volunteers talked about in regards to the work that you do with them um going on to that is there anything else you want to plug or any projects or things that are coming up that you think are important to talk for our listeners to hear about yes so just to talk more and more about black cultural archives um we have been temporarily closed since March, the end of March, when lockdown was enforced on us all. Um, so we have still been open online, but our building was closed. We are reopening the building um, the first week of September. We will be open for reduced hours um, so we can maintain social distancing and um, just be a financially able organization through all of this upheaval so we will be open thursday friday and saturday um you'll be able to access the archive on those days 
as well. We'll be operating reduced hours, so I think it's 11 till 5. But don't quote me, please check out our website, blackculturalarchive.org. Um, is there going to be pre-booking? Do people have to pre-book to go in or are so they... Can if they if you want to visit the... If you want to do some research with the actual archive, you have to pre-book. You can do that on the website. But if you just want to come in and visit our exhibition space or our lovely courtyard. So our courtyard has always been lovely. It's a bit of a sun trap. But now it's like it's the oasis with all of this greenery growth going on. It's lovely. Do come and sit in the space. You can just wander in. Um, we are really, um, as an organisation that predominantly is um, operated by people of colour and we have a high... Uh, visitor profile of people who are from ethnic minorities we understand that um covid19 has disproportionately affected us so the health and well-being of all of our visitors volunteers and staff is really important so there are lots of things being put in place to make sure everyone is safe so don't be too concerned by that we have thought of nearly everything me <laughs> um, so definitely we have that our program so i'm going to keep on going on our program of um talks so we had mangrove nine talk the other day we've had a diaspora conversation um crossing the atlantic that has all moved online and if you can't physically come into the building then our current exhibition is also on our website and we'll be having bca pathways because it's the second one in October. Check the website for more details. Fabulous. So anyone who wants to get yeah. is interested in a career in archives, you need to get down to the BCA pathways in October. Yeah, not Fabulous. just the archives, the whole heritage. The whole organisation. The whole That's heritage right. sector, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I kind of want to go, even though, like, just to see what it's like, even though I have a job oh, but, yeah. i love bca i went down um and another one of our guests family burke um is featured in the black cultural archives as well so um i've known him for a little while and it was really lovely seeing his work in there as well um i went down with come the revolution which is a black program film programming collective um and we were treated very very well at bca i have to say i do need to go down again um so definitely recommend anyone who has the chance to go and visit it's a very worthwhile and very interesting place to be thank you for having me well thank you so much for coming on the show yeah thank you for coming on it's been a yeah you do such amazing work and this is it it's all well and good as talking about the disparities in what exists in the cultural organizations but it's really good to know what's out there in the world to help get people to a place yeah. where they might think about doing this work and this is it. it needs to go to so many different levels exactly and there's so much thought that's gone into it and it's just really nice to know that there's uh, people out there keeping an eye on the, the younger generations to make sure that they know what they're getting into when it comes to the archives and the heritage world Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, 
yeah i think that's that's us done for this episode uh join us again next week when we'll have a different guest on um i just want to say thank you for listening um and goodbye from me and esther and carrie bye <laughs> Thank you.